if you're dealing with an individual, I literally just came from doing this, who was providing the full down payment, right? And let's say they're also going to be on the mortgage. You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hey, Right Club Nation, it is Sarah Larby here. And before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out The Rock yet? Well, that's our Right Club online community. It's a place where you can find your real estate investing and business answers and network with like-minded people. And we've got interactive forums, all the podcast episodes, hours of videos, a wide range of real estate investing training and education tons of great information it's free to join be sure to come grow with us at therightclub.com now on with the podcast right club nation welcome to another awesome podcast the right club podcast i'm sarah larby and i'm here with alfonso salemi buddy it's been a while because we don't record podcasts in the summer i'm happy to see you how are you doing yeah, doing great, Sarah. Like I said, it's like riding a bike, getting back onto the podcast. You know, it felt like when we were first doing these, Zoom was like so weird. We had to come outside and and then it was like everybody was on Zoom and then getting back off of Zoom. So really, really great. It's this whole hybrid world now where you're doing both. I've been doing Zooms in real life with people and in real life with people doing Zoom. So it's been real fun. I'm super excited to, we got a whole batch of, of uh, new investors, professionals, all the different people that make up the Right Club community. That, uh, that we're going to be talking to, gaining some insights, learning something new. That's what it's all about, continuing to grow with each other. And uh, yeah, today is no different. Uh, we sit down with and talk with Charlie. Uh, you know, he's a mortgage broker, residential, commercial. He's done his first real estate investing deal as well, too. So he's an inspiration. I love what he said in the lightning round. You guys have to hang on and listen to that as well, too. One of his attributes of, of what makes him successful. I really love that. That's something I consider that I have, you know, um, but you guys have to listen into that. But uh, yeah, how have you been, Sarah? What's going on and what's new with you? You know what? I have had the best summer of my life of like literally maybe working maybe five hours a week and just chilling out on the, on the dock at the cottage, having some really amazing food by my local chef in Peterborough, Mark Brunette. He's amazing. I had, I had some friends, I had some drinks. Like it was like a really chill summer. I will probably never do this again, <laughs> but I figure in, once in my life, other than, you know, when I was a, a child, I, I just want to do as little as possible. And you know what, I've achieved it. And so now it's back to back to work, back to recording podcasts, but it has been awesome and uh, I will never forget it. So Charlie Kaitaba is uh, is a great great guy, and he's a mortgage broker, and he's a real estate investor, and got you know started doing his first burr. But we talk about some really cool, unique things and credit unions and some different aspects of the financing world. And so I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Don't forget leave a rating, leave a review, and also don't forget to register at therightclub.com. It is completely free, and you can have access to so much great content. So enjoy it. And uh, I hope you guys come back next week. See you soon. Charlie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you guys having me on. How are you? Good. Alfonso and I are excited to speak to you. And uh, you just completed your very first Burr project, which we want to you know, dig into a little bit more because it's always nice to talk to somebody that's just finish their first one and, and just all the experiences and things that you've learned. But 
Uh, aside from that, uh, you are also in the real estate industry. If you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit of what you do, you know, in terms of uh, your job and, and, and how you uh, tie into working with investors. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, again, thank you for, for the intro. Again, my name is Charles. I am a residential and commercial mortgage specialist. My main focus, obviously due to the pandemic, I, I deal mainly with um, investors doing buy and holds, uh, partial and full burrs and flips as well. So that's probably where the majority of my business comes from. And then, you know, naturally so seeing so many deals come across your plate, uh, you get the itch to also join the party, right? So as you, as you mentioned that uh, I just finished uh, my first partial bird and uh, now kind of getting things organized to see what, uh, what's out there and uh, what we can take down next. Yeah, absolutely. And as a mortgage specialist and working in the industry, you know, you, there's probably all different types of rule changes that almost come across uh, minute by minute across your desk and all different types of things, especially, you know, when we're looking back over the last little while in COVID, but, you know, somebody that whether they're just starting or, you know, has a significant portfolio as, as a mortgage specialist, what are the top things that, uh, that you can help with, especially working specifically with investors? What are the things to keep in mind when going out and looking for financing? Is it all about that rate or what else, uh, what else should you be looking out for? Honestly, I, when it comes to working with investors, very rarely do I even bring up rate in the conversation. It's usually one of the last things that we actually talk about. Mainly reason because obviously rate is tax deductible, especially if it's a rental property, right? So that's why it's not the biggest. But I would personally say um, if you're someone who's looking to get into the market as an investor is a understanding simple terms like your debt service ratios. So your income to mortgage amount, right? And also down payment and where that is coming from. Um, those are kind of like the biggest hurdles personally, I feel for like beginning investors I tend to have a, uh, a little bit of a trouble understanding income on the application, again, down payment compliance, which tends to be honestly some of the hardest things to do, especially when working with investors, because as you guys probably know, the big banks are compliance heavy. They want to see where that money is coming from every dollar, every penny of it, right? So being organized on the front end um, and having that open dialogue with your mortgage broker to um, set you up accordingly, having that pre-approval, understanding what you can actually buy. And then from there, going out with an investor-focused realtor to find a property and get in, depending on the strategy you're looking to complete. So obviously a burr would be a little bit different from a flip, right? In terms of what you guys are looking to do. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to give you a couple of different scenarios. Cause I mean, we've always had the discussion about, you know, the typical mortgage stuff and, and really, yeah. let's take it in a different direction. You said sure. you're commercial, you're, you're residential, you work with investors. All right. So, you know, let's just say a lot of our listeners are self-employed or they are earning income from their rents. You know, what have you found has been their, the best case scenario where you're, where you're sending them, how you're structuring their portfolio, are you doing some kind of umbrella structuring uh, or something along those lines? Let's talk a little bit higher level, if, if you don't mind. Um, yes, sure. You know, if, if you don't have the typical fit in the box, T4 income, debt to income ratio, all that stuff, you know, what's the next step for somebody that's self-employed or earning income from, you know, their rentals? No, that that's a great question. So, I'll answer that in two segments, right? We have the self-employed or the business for self-individual. And then we have more of the uh, serial real estate investor who's really making uh, income off strictly their rental portfolio because they can be structured two different ways. Um, the self-employed individual is, is naturally 
credit unions and alternative lenders. So the reason why I always go that route is because naturally when we self-employed, like myself, we have the luxury, um, which is a double-edged sword to write off a lot of our income, right? Um, and expenses. So we don't show a lot on paper. Um, what's really good is that a lot of some of these credit unions and alternative lenders, they have what's called the stated income program. So as long as your, uh, if you're incorporated or sole proprietor, it doesn't matter. But as long as your bank statements are relatively healthy and have deposits coming through, they will qualify you for mortgage based off of an, uh, an annual amount, an annualization, sorry, of three months to six months bank statements. Some lenders might require 12 months, right? Which obviously makes it a little bit easier and they won't ask for T1 generals and things of that nature, right? Now, if you are an individual who is uh, collecting income, their main source of income is through the rental portfolio, um, again, um, it could still be averaged out over two years if you're incorporated and using your T1 generals. But I like personally a few credit unions um, that as long as the property debt services and you bring down 25%, they'll do the deal no matter what. Now, when I say debt service, they're looking for a DSR about 1.2 right so basically debt service is every dollar that you bring in or that you you pay in debt you're basically bringing in one dollar and 20 cents bingo exactly so exactly so as long as it as long as the debt service ratio that's the that's the full term um is around 1.2 they will do the deal meaning that it's going to cash flow etc income credit is not really their their, their biggest cause of concern here because they're more focused on the actual deal itself so just so I'm clear, they're not as focused on the income from, you know, your first 10 or 15 properties. They're going to look at the next ones essentially moving forward. Moving forward. Bingo. Okay. So, so here's, here's the second one. You mentioned credit unions and I'm sure Alfonso has some questions uh, brewing as well. You mentioned credit mm -hmm. unions. I mean, obviously there are some that work with uh, mortgage brokers and then there's probably some that, you know, you might have a better relationship walking into them yeah. directly. Right. And so, yeah. I, I find sometimes the credit union route comes of, as a last resort in the sense that I'm, you know, for example, like you, you go to your big banks, then you go to your trust companies, equitable bank or be lenders and right. credit unions don't always, you know, and, and, you know, we want to just have honest conversations and you're sure. honest, honest guy, Charlie, but is the reason that credit unions are maybe secondary to uh, these trust companies because they don't all work with mortgage brokers or they just all have like maybe like different rules and regulations that make it a little bit more complex. Um, and then in that case, should the person go directly to them? And I know there's a lot of questions in there, but if you can talk about credit unions. Yeah, for sure. So you hit the nail on the head, right? It's honestly right there. It's some credit unions are open to working and creating a relationship with a mortgage broker. Um, but then some credit unions just aren't structurally set up that way so even if they wanted to there's no compliance there's no system set in place to even take on a mortgage broker because how can that be paid through the um through the advanced funds at the time of closing right so they're so that's not even possible so naturally what would happen is the broker would have to have a conversation with the client you know i have no problem passing on the deal and structuring it but they may you know charge a 100 basis points, a percent, whatever the case may be um, for their time working on the deal, right? Uh, but that that varies, right? That's, I would say, the toughest conversation to have because like you said, a lot of credit unions are, are very open to just taking you on, right? Especially if you have a portfolio of six, seven, eight plus rental properties. 
you might be the biggest profile that they have. So they will treat you almost like God sent, right? As soon as you walk into those doors. Um, but, but definitely that's, that's, that's the issue with credit units, right? Like, you know, we may go there as a last resort um, because they're not willing to um, work with the broker channel or they don't have a broker channel set up. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Building Stack. Building Stack is a software and a platform that helps make our lives so much easier as real estate investors and landlords. And Building Stack actually helps us from anything from collecting rent, finding tenants, filling vacancies communicating to our staff and our tenants and anything from even signing documents and leases online. There's so much more as well. And they're a great solution for any portfolio size. I mean, even if you have like one or two properties or hundreds of properties, there is going to be an opportunity for you to utilize this to make your lives so much easier. And as you know, I say work on the business, not in the business. And this is a great software to be able to do that and manage your portfolio as efficiently as possible. So visit buildingstack.com or email sales at buildingstack.com and also make sure to mention the right club because there is a great promo and a discount that you get for that. So again, buildingstack.com and mention the promo code the right club. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. Yeah, understandable. And and, and that's the, the that's obviously the best part about working with a mortgage broker. You have different options. You know, credit union can be an option yeah. if, if you are looking at that, comparing that. Obviously, include that that mm-hmm. broker fee in in all your expenses and all your due diligence when you're running that. What I wanted to talk about was a little bit about timelines because now these days everything is so rushed. Everybody's no no inspections, no financing. I remember looking at deals. Oh well we were negotiating for 15 days of, of conditions and, you know, we got 12. Oh, darn. We only had 12. Now it's like, you're lucky if you have 12 minutes, right. To make a decision on a property. So when, you know, it's hard enough, you know, I don't say hard enough, but it's tough enough to go and find, you know, good, good, solid properties, good deals, you know, sellers market hundred percent these days, when you do need to get financing, how, how can an investor feel more secure you know, going out, putting in that firm offer, or or do you suggest that? How do you work with them to say, you know, these are the parameters, this is what you're qualified for, this is what you should be looking for, and then having that confidence that, you know, you might take a day or two or three, because banks, we know, move slow. They're like cruise ships, right? You take takes them a long time yeah. to turn around. So what kind of suggestions can you work with, or, or can you uh, let some investors know you're going out there and finding properties. You found that one, but now you have to get under contract and you don't want to put a financial or financing condition in there because that might lose you the deal, right? So how, So what's your advice? Right, so again, and, and a great question, honestly. That's another tough one because obviously as a mortgage specialist, we technically, not even technically, we are not allowed to go ahead and advise clients to go in firm because then we're obviously liable for suit, right? But we understand the market that we're in and especially in this... Um, you know, June, July, you put a financing condition on anything, especially if you're in a big metropolitan area, they're going to tell you to go kick, like kick rocks, right? They're, you're not even, you're, they're not even going to look at your offer. So with that being said, if, if this is a route that um, as a buyer, you are going down, I would say, and I would strongly advise to make sure that you have submitted and provided your mortgage specialist or, or bank, if you're going to the bank, with all documents up front. Credit has been pulled. You have ironed out any questions, right? Because if something comes up last minute, let's say there's a $10,000 
deposit in your account in the 90 day compliance, right? Most lenders, anything above $5,000, they're going to ask what it is for AML compliance. And if you can't, and if you can't come up for a reason that makes sense to them, well, they can back up the deal and then there, there it is. You just, you just lost your deposit potentially, right? That is the best way to protect yourself. I would say personally, um, that way there are no, there are no issues, right? I just want to go back because, you know, I, I'd like to just explain the term compliance. So essentially you're, what you're saying is they could go back and look at your statements for the last 90 days. And if there's anything that can't be explained, they might question it. So, mm. so here's another scenario. And I like, you know, talking about compliance, let's just say you are gifted money and you are working with a lender that may not like gifted money. So maybe you have a conversation with your mortgage broker about putting that money in an account for 90 days so it can vest there. Is, are those conversations that you're having? Because I, I think that, you know, and, and there's going to be some banks that are look, going to look back at, at different timelines or whatnot, but what is important to know about that topic? Right. Great. Because I would personally say down payment compliance is probably the hardest part, right? Because naturally working with investors, there's money coming from everywhere. Money likes to be fundraised, crowdfunded, large gifts from aunts and uncles, right? Things of that nature. So in the perfect world, yeah, if you can have the money sitting there for 90 days, right, then you don't even, we don't even need to say it's a gift. We can just say it's, it's your funds, right? As long as it makes sense. If you're an individual who's making 100K a year and you have about, let's say, 60, 80K in a savings account, okay, that makes sense, right? Now, if it's like you make 100K a year, you have a million dollars, you know, then that, that's going to cause, you know, some, some red flag. So it still needs to make sense. But anything past 90 days, in most cases, they're not going to ask at all. So as long as it's been there in 90 days, you're good. Now, if obviously it's less than 90 days and they see 10,000 coming in, right, or uh, a large deposit coming in, then we can position as a gift. Now, where it's coming from, that's another thing. Naturally, they want to make sure it's from an immediate family member. Now, that's... Again, subjective, immediate. What does immediate mean? Is that cousin? Is that uncle? Is that grandma? Is that dad, brother, sister? Usually they want it within the immediate family. So brother, sister, dad, mom, grandparents, grandfather is pretty safe. Once you start getting to uncles and aunts, you're, 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 you're throwing it up in the air, right? Yeah. And Charlie, you know, you're, you're doing this all day, every day. You're working with investors. And sometimes people that are listening to our podcast think we're crazy. You know, people are going out there and buying properties every single day. And it's the first time. And it's a lot of paperwork, right? Like even with our, with, with, with my business on the rent to own side, collecting all the documents for certain, for certain clients to check their finance, it's a lot of work and it can seem daunting. I want you to give some hope to some investors out there or would be investors that, you know, this is kind of a normal process, whatever that normal is. But the, the, the documentation, the process, why these banks, why lenders are doing this? Because obviously you're, you're going and finding the best suitor, the best money for those investors. But what are some good, th- tell me a couple good stories about, you know, you've had some investors that have been successful, that have funded their deals, timelines have been tight, but, you know, you've come in and, and helped them out. Right. And, and you hit, the, again, that, that's a great question. The reason why the banks want to see documentation up front is because at the end of the day, they're in it from themselves, right? They want to make sure that they, their bottom line is secured, especially if they're loaning out 80% loan to value on, on an asset, because you're not going to find lending outside of real estate that's ever going to give you that much loan to value, right? So that's the first thing. Now, the best part about it is if you're able to go through that documentation process for the first time, a, not only are you building a relationship with that lender, 
But things come a little bit quicker after that. Because as a mortgage specialist, I save everything on my desktop or laptop, laptop, excuse me, or wherever you're, you're, you're submitting these deals from. Once the lender sees your name a couple times or even, your, uh, even the mortgage broker name and they know that you always submit documents up front and make it very easy for the underwriter. The underwriter, it's a human too on the other end of the line. You make their job easier, they're gonna make your life easier. You know, do you want Charles, you always send me all documents up front. Let me just look through this very, very quickly for you. Approved commitment, here you go, right? Uh, but that often takes uh, some time, right? To, to build that type of rapport with a specific underwriter or bank. But that is the benefit of providing those documents up front. Once or twice, I know it can be a little bit tedious, but after that, it definitely gets smoother. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, Right Club Nation, I just wanted to take a moment and introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, privatebuyers.ca. On your team of experts, you're going to want to make sure that you have a great wholesaler that's going to bring you some great deals off market. So most real estate investors, they're struggling to find their next deal. Private buyers, they help investors by bringing them some off-market opportunities at under market value so that they can make more money. These discounted real estate deals are not on the MLS. They've been found by privatebuyers.ca who will then send them to your inbox. And they're also gonna focus on your criteria and your goals and send you some tailored deals that match your needs. It's just really simple, guys. Just go to privatebuyers.ca, fill out the form, and start getting and seeing some available off-market opportunities. Privatebuyers.ca. Now back to the podcast. And now back to the show. Awesome. So I think, you know, in the beginning too, like you mentioned, you do some commercial, you do some residential, Mm -hmm. you know, give me an example or give us an example of like a unique way that you've structured maybe a more complex deal in the past. Unique way. Let's see where I can pull this from. Something different. I mean, I'm thinking along the lines of like a blanket mortgage or something, something different that we don't hear about every single day. For sure. So this is actually a very cool trick. I feel like not a lot of people know about, but uh, it, it will help investors, especially those who are doing JV deals, right? What happens is you have a JV partner, um, you have a JV partner who may not be on paper the best. Maybe you are providing some of that down payment as well. All right. And we're talking about down payment compliance, how it can be a little bit hectic um, in terms of you don't know how to structure the gift. If they send you the money, it's the full down payment. That's obviously too easy, right? If you're dealing with an individual, I literally just came from doing this, who was providing the full down payment, right? Um, And let's say they're also gonna be on the mortgage, but you're also gonna be on the mortgage while to qualify no need to take the money. Sorry, they're not going to be on the mortgage, excuse me, but they're providing you the down payment, all right? The best way to go about doing that is simply wherever the down, pay, down payment is being held, add your name to the account to make a joint account. Because when you pull those statements, it doesn't show a date, right? It just says your name on the statement that you're being pulled. That way, it shows that the money is actually yours as well. All right. So that is, uh, uh, I don't hear that a lot in a lot of the real estate podcasts and things like that I've been, I've been, I've been listening to. So just to give you more detail on the deal, um, I had an investor who was uh, purchasing a fourplex. All right. And he had a friend who was going to gift him the down payment, the full down payment for the fourplex, right? He was going at 10% down. It was primary. It was going to be owner occupied, live in one unit, rent out the other three, use market rents, to qualify, right? But the deal's 
like they already went firm. I got on the deal pretty late. I cannot tell the friend to deposit money in the account and position as a gift because they have no blood relation, right? But the friend's account was relatively clean. There was no transactions coming in or anything like that. So all I did was, I'm like, do you know what? Would you be open to adding your friend to your bank account and make it a joint account? That way it satisfies down payment compliance, closing, take your friend off the account. And then that, that's how it was, right? And then once you satisfy down payment compliance and on the lawyer's office, you can do all the transferring you want. The bank has already gave the green light in terms of down payment. So you can go ahead and pull it from whatever credit card, line of credit, um, you know, financing tissue you want to just pay the lawyers and advance the funds from there. So I would probably say that is, I have a few, but that is the most useful and actionable that I feel like a lot of people can use that I don't think about. Yeah, that, that's great, Joey. And all right, so you're getting a lot of good tips. And I remember when, you know, going through different trainings and learning and talking to different, you know, whether it's realtors, mortgage brokers, other professionals, investors. Um, and one advice or one piece of advice that I always got, only answer the questions that you're asked. Only give the information that you're provided. So is there yeah. something that you're just like, no, don't do that. Do not answer that. Don't provide that. Don't, you know, even if there are asking, but obviously working with a professional, you're going to help guide them along the way. But what's, what's a common mistake that you see a lot of, you know, investors making and then you're like, no, please don't do that. Again, because we have a human on the other side, right? The underwriter. In most cases, underwriters want the deal to go through, but to protect their job, they do have to ask specific questions, right? So that's why as a, as a, they say as a broker, provide the information they specifically ask for, nothing more, nothing less, right? So I will, I will give you an example that, that just happened. I have, a, I have a, um, an investor client who has um, a large um, stock portfolio and real estate portfolio. He's only 25 and he's on his fourth rental property out in the Windsor market. The clients, I mean, the underwriter asks, they're, 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 they're questioning the, the legitimacy of the deal because like, how is he only 25 years old, large stock portfolio, four, four properties on his own, something is not adding up, right? They're like, where is the down payment coming from? And um, how did he make, like, how did he get to where he was? Like, how did he make so much money so early, right? You know, if you start explaining, oh, he invests in stocks, he's a day trader, um, uh, his, you know, his parents are rich, they come, from, they come from overseas, now you're giving them way too much information and they're just looking for something just to say no, right? So what I said was just simply long-term investor, all right? And he buys in the Windsor market because it's affordable. Keep it short and simple and, right. and never talk about Airbnb or short-term rentals. Long-term <laughs> rentals are the way to go. <laughs> Others don't like it otherwise. Yeah, yeah, always. always. Yeah, short, short and sweet, especially, they're, they're not, again, they're, they're never going to ask, obviously, the client because you guys are never speaking with the underwriters. And, and, and that's why it's very important, I always say, make sure you have a, a level of open communication with your broker and tell them all the information that they need, right? Sometimes people ask me, well, why do you need to know that? I just want to know the whole deal in its entirety, where things are coming from. That way, in case I'm questioned, I know how to respond to make sure that the file yeah, doesn't absolutely. blow up or anything like so that. So before we get into the lightning round, you, you bought your first investment property that ended up being a burr. 
And, you know, obviously with, mm -hmm. with your job and what you're doing and how you're helping investors, is, is that what pulled you in to do your own? Or maybe just walk us through that story of how you decided to, you know, take, take your, your mortgage broker role and, you know, right. dabble into doing your own deals. Believe it or not, it's reversed. So it was actually this that got me into mortgage brokering, right? So um, it, was, it was like literally the reverse effect. So my family owns a uh, property out in St. Catharines, right? And my mom was getting a little bit older, like, mom, we want you to retire. Like, this is, just relax, you, you've done enough. And so what we did was we, we purchased a property, all right? So we sold our, we sold our property, uh, my mom's property, and we went to go purchase one. And then she's like, um, she would just want to an upgrade typical 80%, uh, 20% down or even more than that because she didn't want the mortgage payments to be high. And I'm like, well, why don't we look around to see if there's at least like a separate entrance or anything like that. That way, if you want, we can at least rent out the basement, right? But it was nothing crazy because again, this was very much her, her property, her proceeds from the purchase, from the sale, excuse me. We found a property. All right, I believe it was around 540, 550 at the time. This was about a year ago. And lo and behold, had a separate entrance. All right. Basement wasn't completely finished, but had good bone. All right. And it was, and it was large. The basement in itself, I believe, is around 1,000 square feet to 1,200 square feet. So a lot, of, a lot of room to work with. Two bedrooms, powder room, and the, that was it in the basement. So what we did was we obviously purchased it. We closed on it. We dumped about 35 to 40 K in renovations. All right. It already had a separate side entrance. We built a kitchen in the basement. Uh, we built a full bathroom and also we built a laundry room upstairs. There was already one laundry room, which was downstairs. All right. So that was done. We got tenants in there. They're, they're paying about 1650 uh, on a monthly basis. Due to the, the rates, um, they, were just on the, they were just coming down. So the rates were still affordable. I believe the, the principal and interest payments, uh, all in all, just around uh, 2100 So the fact that we got a basement rental for, for 1600 that's my mom was pretty much living for free upstairs. And then that was right before COVID. And then my business started picking up. This was, I was in Catherine. We're starting to see the market rise. I'm like, what's going on? Um, and then now we're, we just finished the process of refining. And the house got appraised at 715. So we, we, we took a good chunk of money out. And then now we, we, have, uh, we have it sitting there and we're just on the hunt for, for our next deal. So that was, I didn't really understand the bird until maybe the last year or so. Um, and it was intentional. But when we closed on the property, I was just getting my feet wet in investing, just reading books, the, the Rise podcast, M2M podcast, even the Right, the right podcast with Francois, right? So it was more of we stumbled upon, uh, upon in the beginning, and now it's a little bit more strategic, especially now we're looking for, for our second deal. That's awesome. What a great story to, you know, helping, helping your mom, helping your family, investing, being able to pull out, and now looking for the second deal. I love I loved those stories. I loved hearing that. And and that, that's, it, yeah. it's really is powerful on just the, the amount of information that, that you have, that you share with, you know, your different clients, different people that you're working with, that you're sharing with us today. Keep it going, man. That, that's awesome. I love hearing that. And we can't wait to have you back on and talk about the fifth and sixth and 10th deal. That, uh, that's the goal, right? That's right. That's right. So I think, uh, I think we're ready for the, uh, the lightning round. So uh, yeah, why don't we get started, okay. Sarah? Why don't you start us off? Let's do it. 
This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com, or by email, daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com, or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right. So there are four questions. Every guest gets the same four questions. You can give us the first answer that comes to mind. Keep it short and sweet. Okay. Ready to play? I'm ready if you guys are. All right. Question number one, Charlie, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? Don't be scared. Do the numbers and execute. I find that most deals um, uh, or anything, not even just real estate, but when you're self-employed and you're you're taking that big jump, um, most deals are lost in being idle, staying in the state of limbo. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? If you do the numbers and it makes sense, take that leap of faith and naturally everything works out for the best. Nice. Great answer. Question number two, what is your favorite resource when it comes to real estate investing? Oh, well, I'm not, I don't think uh, the, the, uh, the majority of the population has access to this, but I have a program that's called Purview. Um, and it simply just uh, gives you a quick you know, update on the property um, the approximate value. It's not always the most accurate, but uh, relatively gets the job done in terms of what you're looking for. And it gives you the structure. What's the registered mortgage on title when it was purchased, who's purchased uh, the name of the family who currently owns it or who's on the mortgage. Um, and at least it gives me enough to start my analytical process and, um, and, and start crunching the numbers, um, seeing what the comparables are in the in the in the area, what are things I've sold for, and and go from there. So that's my favorite resource. I love that resource, and I'm, I'm going to add. Here's the thing: is if you guys are looking for some off market opportunities, and you're doing some door knocking, and you have a really good relationship with your mortgage broker, get them to pull it for certain. Um, different properties because you can actually figure out who owns it, reach out to them directly. And you can also figure out how much they still have left on a mortgage or, or not, because here's the thing is maybe they are more open to doing a VTB depending on what they owe. And so I think it actually could open up a lot of doors for some off market opportunities or some really strategic, um, you know, vendor take back type of deals or, or that kind of stuff. So I love Purview again, you know, like you don't want to be bogging down uh, your mortgage broker every single day, but I mean, if there's some good properties and you've got a good relationship with them, uh, use them for the Purview reports and sure. obviously, you know, to, to close on deals as well, but I think it's a great resource. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Especially if it's off market too, right? Cause obviously there's really nothing yeah. else you can, you can pull from to um, get any type of uh, statistical data on that property. Yeah, absolutely. You can tell like who transferred it to who or who bought it from who, how much they yeah. bought it for. Like there's just so much awesome stuff and like even comps and stuff you can mm-hmm. get on that. Cool. Um, number three, what is the one attribute in your opinion that has made you the most successful? Oh, great question. This is tough. Uh, um, I would say uh, almost a 
childlike imagination. Um, as people get to know me a little bit more, it's like I find that as individuals get older um, because of quote unquote society, things we see on TV, we tend to put up barriers and, and, and things that we can do to our potential, right? But when you're a kid, it's always like, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be uh, an, an athlete. I want to be a singer. As we get older, reality starts to say, oh, I can't do that because of this, because of that. And I feel like I'm always very optimistic. And um, especially when it comes to lending in general, I'm very uh, determined, right? Even if a lender says no, I'll figure out a new way to structure a deal um, and see if there's an alternative lender that can provide the same value, right? And I would say that's what's helped me um, grow my mortgage business to what it is now. And, and hopefully that's that those same attributes want to carry over um, into my investment career as well. Love that. That's great advice. And that's a good negotiating uh, practice as well, too. You negotiate with like a five-year-old and just try, there's no reasoning, right? They, if they just want something, why, 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 and keep going yeah. through and having that, that, that childlike spark is just so important to keep that, uh, to keep that going. And it's not, uh, don't, don't let no, just means ask another way. Right. So um, it, that, that, exactly, exactly right. what it is. All right. So to wrap up the lightning round, last question, what do you typically do on a Sunday morning? What does your day look like? How does it start off on a Sunday? Well, I would say my, my Sunday actually doesn't really change much from, from the rest of the week. I have a very, very strict morning routine that I follow. So, uh, first 15, first 15 minutes, um, I kind of just show gratitude and, and, and thankful for giving me another day to, to be healthy and strong whether if you're religious or not, I just feel like it's always good just to give some sort of uh, gratitude to a higher being if you believe in one. Um, I work out, uh, fasted, and then come home, have a breakfast. And then usually on Sundays, it's my lighter days. I don't like to do too, too much work, but I will answer emails up until noon, 1 p.m. And then I pretty much uh, just relax and prepare for the week ahead of me. That sounds awesome. And, uh, working out is my language too. I, mm-hmm. I love working out. I'm, I'm trying to like get to two times a week, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> or sorry, not two times a week, two times a day. Um, but wow. we'll see what happens. Two yeah, day. I work out every single day. Yeah. But like now, like in a lot of since things have reopened and I'm like, I want to add like a second afternoon workout after my morning one. We'll yeah. see what happens. <laughs> That's my, so that was my professional background. I used to manage, uh, over three fitness studios in, in the GTA. So working out was definitely a very, very big passion, my butt. Two days, I haven't done that in, in years. I don't think my, 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 my bones and my body can handle a two day. <laughs> well, I'm going to combine like Pilates with like, like an F45 type of thing or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, solid. So like, it's not going to be like two of the same workouts because that'd right. be a lot for sure. But oh, no. yeah, that would work most definitely. <laughs> awesome. So Charlie, where can a right club nation reach out and find out more? Awesome. So again, I wanted this, first of all, thank you guys for having me on the, the right club podcast. Uh, the best way to get in contact with me is via Instagram. I'm super extremely active on my social media. So that's underscore Charles Kaitaba. Um, and also, uh, through my brokerage Instagram as well at money tree lending group. So those are two ways, um, you can get in contact with me if ever need be. Awesome. Great. Uh, great advice today. Great thoughts that you shared with us anything else that you'd like to, to share with the right club nation um before we uh, before we log off actually i have a question for you guys believe it or not 
and I've been, I've been, I've been itching to, to ask this. And I want to hear from your professional perspective. Cause I know the right club does, you guys cover so many different realms in, in real estate. Um, and I want to talk about JV partnerships specifically. Have you guys seen uh, a shift in new investors? Cause I have a theory. I just want to kind of want to test it out since COVID and the pandemic. Um, I find there's a new population of investors I've never seen before. And, you know, naturally, I know you guys are, are big on JVs and things of that nature. Um, have you guys seen anything on your end in terms of people looking to invest and coming in? I think more people are realizing that they can't rely on their J-O-B and they're looking even faster for that opportunity to leave the rat race because there's just been so much uncertainty. So I think part of it is because of that. Do I see more? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we've, we've always seen a lot. Are there a bunch of new ones potentially? But I, I think it, if anything, it's going to be, you know, in my opinion, it's going to be based on people realizing that like, their jobs are not secure. And mm -hmm. a lot of people lost their jobs over the last two years. A lot of people are still losing their jobs in, yeah. in, you know, in, in the future. And so I think, you know, there's, there's a, a desire that's maybe stronger now than sure. ever to do something different so that they're not chain tied. Yeah. No, no. More so what about you? Yes. Uh, I can unequivocally say there's been more interest in in people that want to, to partner with us in our rental and program as a joint venture partner that are looking at real estate as a way of retirement before it was you know the traditional bank stuff i don't even want to say the acronyms because i get the stomach ache when i say them but you know the typical acronyms of investment or, or other methods and um of the traditional ways that we were taught, but now more than ever, I think people are seeing real estate as a form of investment, as a form of retirement, not just as their primary home or single dwelling. There's more youngsters that are saying, I want to buy a house and rent out the basement, uh, yeah. you know, and to do that kind of stuff. There's more people that are even, you know, a little bit on an age that are saying, Hey, I need to add some, some passive income because I can't be at my job. I don't want to be at my job until I'm 65, 70, 80 years old. So that, that way of investing, that way of retiring is definitely, I used to think, you know, when we were at the Red Club live events in Burlington, oh my God, like people would come in and if it was the first time, they'd look at a sideways and you're crazy. And now it's almost, it's kind of gone 180. You haven't invested in real estate. Now you're crazy, right? So I've definitely seen that shift and it's advanced it, but, uh, but great question. And, and yeah, I, I do think there, there is a new wave of people seeing, seeing the benefits um, and I think it's through podcasts like this and, and, and probably yeah. you helping your clients and, and all the different things that people are doing out there that saying it is attainable. It's not just for, you know, those, those guys in the big penthouse suites that are investing. It's, you can do this one, one property at a time, one deal at a time. So great question. Jordan. Yeah. And you, and you know what, the other thing too, is that like interest rates are at an all time low. And so you can't really save your way to anything anymore. So you just have to invest. Yeah. And you don't have that many options, but Charlie, I'm just curious, like, what is your, your theory that you had in mind? So the reason, I, and I felt like this was a perfect, I haven't really spoken to anyone about this, but something I've been thinking about a lot of time, just from the deals I've been seeing. So um, to make a long story short, cause I, I don't want to talk too much, but uh, I've been starting to find that a lot of those in the hospitality business, specifically those who either own hotels or motels, um, restaurants, because obviously they were the heaviest impacted. I've had an overwhelming response of clients coming from those industries, and they seem to be honestly the best 
joint venture partners or investors um, I've seen in a while. Reason being is obviously them coming from an entrepreneurial background. They already understand the certain level of risk. Well, they're, that's not really nothing that needs to be explained to them, but they're more comfortable because it's real estate. It's a physical asset, right? It's not a business. Another thing that's really intriguing is that they are able to get so creative with their financing because, you know, as a soul, uh, like as a, as an individual, really the most you can do is get a, a line of credit, right? On your name or a credit card. Where if you come from a restaurant, a lot of them have operating lines of credits, right? Which are massive. Some of them are 100K, 200K, 300K. And these are lifetime lines of credit that they can always draw, bring down, draw, bring down, draw, bring down. And the rates are relatively lower. Another thing, now this is really creative. You know, naturally, the government has given out so much money to those in the hospitality industries due to COVID, right? COVID relief funds, SIBA loans, and things like that. Now, I'm not one to judge whether if you use those loans as actually to bring your business back up to where it was, but I'd be lying if I was saying there's not a lot of people also dumping that into real estate, right? Because they're not personally guaranteed either. So, and I've just, and it's just been blowing my mind. I've been seeing this. I'm like, wow, that's actually kind of genius. Um, so, you know, if you, if there are individuals, um, I'm not sure within the right club, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys started to see a, a lot more people and investors specific coming from the hospitality sector, uh, um, really pushing real estate now, because again, they understand cheap rates. They understand leveraging against line of credits. They've been doing that to run the restaurant for a long time or the hotel for a long time. Usually a lot of these businesses, they're not done on, on cash, right? Yeah, that's an interesting theory. So if you guys are out there listening to this and you know some restaurant owners, start joint venturing and, uh, you know, bring them into the circle. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Awesome. Charlie, once again, where can people reach out? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, underscore Charles Kai Taba. Or again, you can uh, reach out to me through my brokerage uh, Instagram at Money Tree Lending Group. Amazing. Charlie, thank you so much. And uh, that was really insightful and fun. I had fun talking to you and, and getting to know you better. So thank you so much. Thank you. Likewise, guys. I appreciate it once again. Thanks, Charlie. Awesome. Have a good one. What a great chat. What a great guy. You could just feel the emotion, the inspiration, you know, the energy that Charlie brought to the conversation. I'm sure he does that every day of his business, helping his clients on the residential side, the, 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 the commercial side, getting creative and fighting for his clients, working with all the different types of lenders. Definitely somebody that you'd want on your power team as you continue to build that team of people that are helping you along your real estate journey. So uh, definitely a great chat. Sarah, you know, a couple of takeaways or, or, uh, or anything that you took from that podcast? You know, you know, I think a big takeaway, I mean, obviously there's tons of great information and Charlie is just awesome, but I think a big takeaway is, is work with a mortgage broker alongside a credit union. I think you still need to go out yourself and source a credit union in conjunction with a mortgage broker. That's just, that's just my take on it because, you know, not all credit unions will work with a mortgage broker and some do, but it's always good to have, you know, cast a wide net and uh, obviously, you know, make sure that you don't treat your team like uh second class citizens. You always want to make sure that they get compensated for if they're spending time or, or whatnot helping you out. But I think there is something to be said about credit unions and, uh, and exploring that avenue. Absolutely. Having a plan, getting a second opinion, not always just hearing no and then stopping, 
figuring that out and speaking to multiple people, right? Not only Charlie, other mortgage bridge group, brokers and agents and professionals that are in the industry and other investors that how they've been successful been able to acquire more properties. And that's what it's all about. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Don't, don't uh, forget to rate, review, share it with a friend and get on the rightclub.com website. And uh, we'll see you guys there. Have a good one. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.